Welcome to Support Up Simplified, where we interview thought leaders in the great field of customer support operations to provide you with actionable insights from the brightest minds in the industry. And now, your host, Sid Bumbani, CEO of Sumati. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to another op- episode of Support Operations Simplified. Uh, today, we have with us uh, Matthew Karen, who is the head of customer support at OpenTable. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you, Sid, for having me. It's a, a pleasure and honor to be joining you. Great, great. Same here. Um, so Matthew um, has a, a long list of companies that he's uh, led the customer service and customer experience profile for, which include uh, DirecTV, AT&T, and, and now at OpenTable. Um, Matthew, I know I, I won't do this justice, so maybe you can kind of guide us in terms of how you started your um your career and and how you've progressed through your different roles uh, to be at your current one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, my my entry into the the customer support organization was was kind of an interesting one because I I went into it kicking and screaming. Um, <laughs> Don't we during, all? <laughs> during the uh, the economic crisis that our uh, United States experienced in two thousand eight, uh, I found myself unemployed for for two years, and I finally got to a point of uh, I could be a ditch digger in Florida, or I could join an uh, outsource contact center. And I, I picked the call center because that air conditioning. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so what, uh, what was both good and bad is that when I working for an outsourcer, it, it's such a tough environment because it's mm-hmm. just so, uh, just, you just deal with so much volume. It's 99.9% occupancy. It's just turn and burn with phone calls. Uh, but my desire to improve the, the culture and the environment around me uh, led me to get into leadership. I decided or, or came to the decision that, you know, if I was a supervisor, then I could at least have a positive environment around me for my team. And then mm-hmm. had that same determination as a manager, but to being a director. Um, and then in, when I got to the director role and really managing the, the P&L of the, the experiences where I realized that it was very much uh, industry based is that um, outsourced contact centers are, are really work and make their money off of volume. And mm-hmm. it's, it's so you don't have a lot of investments. Um, what was good about the experience, though, is that you have a lot of opportunities to fail and then overcome those failures and still succeed um, because there's just so much turnover in that industry and in those, right. in those organizations. Uh, so I was able to, to move up pretty quickly uh, from a, a CSR position to, to, to supervisor, to manager, senior manager and director. And in fact, I went from being a CSR to a director in, in about three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, Going that quickly through an organization did allow me to interact with a lot of different accounts. Um, some pretty big names, UPS, Verizon uh, were a couple of the biggest ones, but even some smaller ones like Scholastic Books, uh, New York Times, uh, Fairpoint Communications, as well as the different types of channels and mediums from phone to email to social media. Um, ultimately, I realized that I wanted to work for more of an employee-centric organization and my philosophy behind that is if you create this amazing culture and experience for your employees, that will just permeate throughout the phone or throughout the email and, and ultimately create that similar experience for the customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through that, uh, I around that time period, I got recruited by DirecTV to come and join their organization. Um, and they have been celebrated as, as an employer-friendly organization. So that's what brought me to DirecTV and ultimately moved me and my family to Denver. Um, but I also didn't really want to be pigeonholed to call centers. Because like I said, 
I went into a kicking and screaming. Yeah. Um, and so DirecTV's headquarters of operations was in Denver. And uh, I leveraged my experience to get into the company and then uh, pivoted quickly to process and improvement. Um, and my desire to do that was because I felt like the, the human element is such an uncontrollable um, because every person is unique and different. Uh, so if you really want to have your pulse on improving the experience on a global perspective uh, throughout the organization, it's within improving the process. So I, uh, I, I moved into some process improvement roles within DirecTV where we mainly focused on like employee submissions on how we could improve our experience. Um, around that same time is when the acquisition of DirecTV to AT&T uh, was completed. And AT&T's approach was a bit different. Uh, they were still completing and going through a, a massive change in how they just operate as a company and they're trying to streamline a lot of what they do. And so there was a lot of org changes that happened. And as a result of that, I went from uh, process improvement to do more of what's called methods and procedures, where it's, it's at a higher global scale of uh, yeah, you know, more of not the the specifics and the details, but what is the organization that's going to own this action? What is the tool that's going to complete this task? After doing that for about five or six months, then they then moved me into a communications role. So I led a communications team, and our responsibility was gathering all the changes within products or within a new offering or a new um, sales pitch, a uh, new pricing strategy, and and weekly communicating in newsletters to a huge audience. Um, right. The, the sales call organization, the inside sales, the outside sales, as well as the, the stores, the retail stores themselves. And again, you know, touching those points and, and realizing that if you, you have a dynamic communication and you're able to essentially train through that communication, the person who's going to implement the ask, you can improve the customer experience. But it took me away from the people. Right. And that, what that ultimately I, I realized is that that inconsistency within the human um, and within the person, that was where the success was. Um, because even if you create this dynamic program and you create this dynamic training and this awesome tool, somebody's got to do it. And that's where the actual customer experience was. So OpenTable reached out to me because they had an opening um, within a direct role within their contact center in Denver. Mm -hmm. They had recently brought in all of their, their support from being outsourced to being in-house. Um, and their first year of it wasn't as successful as they had hoped. So when they brought me in, the ask was to, to turn the, the Denver contact center that was struggling financially um, and, and people were basically leaving in droves. Um, to turn it around and really create that, again, that dynamic culture that, that OpenTip loves to celebrate. And uh, it, it took about a year to complete that task. And when we did, it was very successful. And so the next ask was, well, can you replicate those successes and results in our other contact centers globally? Uh, so about a year and a half ago is when I got elevated to the head of customer support with the assignment of mirroring a lot of the process and the success that we had within our Denver contact center to that within our London San Francisco and Melbourne sites. Um, and again, something that's relatively quick we're able to achieve um, by simply focusing on the constant, which is that, that human element and really leveraging back to the experience I had that got me into the contact center, which is that I didn't really want to be there to begin with. Um, <laughs> I felt like it was not a, a place where you covet to go to, it was a place that you settle on. And I wasn't the only one in that emotion. Um, quite simply, I've, I've still to this day yet to meet anybody who who told their guidance counselor in high school that I want to work in a contact center. It means, yeah. you know, it's filled with people that this is the start of their career or something happened uh, in the economy or in their market or in their industry or in their job that this is what they had to settle on. So, which means they're looking to go someplace better. So it's all about coaching. 
Uh, it's all about developing and, and making sure that those people have the highest level of success that they can achieve because that done, again, permeate out through that phone call and creates that dynamic customer experience. And as what is continuing to evolve within the world is, is that's the differentiator in most markets is that how you treat your customer is really what gets that second sale, gets that um, reason for that customer come back. And so that's what we've been doing within the uh, last year and a half of open table is really trying to make the best possible experience through ease um, of product. um, But also by treating each individual customer as an individual and uh, tailoring the, the experience to them. And really my experience as a CSR and an outsourcer and having to read from a script and then moving to, um, you know, supporting different companies, supporting different industries, supporting even different countries, all kind of led to the philosophies that I, I lead and, and, and um, operate by uh, as the head of support within OpenTable today. Cool, cool. No, that that's that's a really interesting journey and a really interesting take on uh, on customer service in, in as a whole. Um, and what's really interesting to me is is the fact that you went from an outsourced operation to running an in-house one. Um, generally, you know, some people have the opposite experience where <laughs> their in-house operation gets outsourced somewhere else. Yep. Um, so. One one question, and I guess you're in the best kind of position to answer this for for our listeners is, what is the main difference in terms of culture, in terms of philosophy, in terms of how people do their work between an outsourced and an in-house operation? Um, can one really replicate the other in terms of success? Yeah, fantastic question. A lot of times people assume the answer to that is no because of budget. Right. So it, and it comes down to how much shrink you're able to invest into your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I absolutely believe the answer is yes. And it's it's not around offering perks. It's not around having, you know, a beautiful facility. Um, it's not around having uh, robust training and high salaries. It, it literally comes down to the types of questions you ask during the, the screening, recruiting, and interview process. What type of person are you trying to hire? Um, it's The other is that a lot of times people assume the culture is created by the company um, or the, the highest level leader. It is absolutely not true. The culture of your contact center in any office is really created by the people that you hire. It's, it's the CSRs themselves. So I really have you know, they have to be able to do the technical standards. They need to have the minimum application and, and requirements to be able to functionally and intelligibly complete the tasks. But it, it comes down to the most simple question to me. If I had the choice and I had the freedom, would this be a person that I would go to dinner with? Would this be the person that I would sit down and have a conversation with and just want to hang out with? Would this be somebody that I would want to be friends with? If the answer to that question is no, I'm not going to hire them. Um, so what we do is build our contacts and our base off of people that we just like and that we want to spend copious amounts of time with. Um, it's not hard to find those people. You just have to be diligent to look to find them. Right. Um, and so a lot of the, the interview questions that we have in that, in that process is getting around knowing the person and what type of desire and aptitude do they have coming into this role. If it's 
to get a paycheck, sure, that we're all in that spot. But if it's get to a paycheck and then do something next after that, if they want to grow in their career, and I'm not necessarily meaning that they want to grow in their role, meaning they want to get promoted. Some people just enjoy the experience of being a frontline employee. But more, do they want to grow within their mind, body, and spirit? Do they want to be a better person tomorrow than they were today? Mm-hmm. And we are very diligent and disciplined to maintaining that hiring practice. And you can find those people at really any wage. Um, the the trade-off though within that the outsource center is that you you have to do it more often, right? Because when you fill mm-hmm. your population of those types of people, they're also hungry to move. Uh, they want to move up. They want to get those opportunities. Um, so it's ensuring that you're able to create enough dynamic of an environment so that they are able to do different things. Um, I think the universal agent approach is one that makes a lot of sense in theory, but then when it comes down to the person, it dwarfs what they can do. So you have a lot more turnover because they're a C of a hundred instead of an individual. Um, and then by triaging your customer experience and you can triage your employee experience, you then allow these layers and avenues for people to move up to. Uh, I operate under the understanding that you're going to get at most two years out of a CSR uh, within that particular role. And after that, then they either leave the organization or they quit without physically leaving meaning that like they kind of give up on the role because it's check out mentally, and yeah. exactly right and so as long as you hire people mm-hmm. that that care about others and, and enjoy the experience of the people around them and then you provide avenues from the continue to grow intellectually and um, challenge themselves as individuals an outsource center can have an absolutely fantastic culture and environment as well, just as much as an, an in-house operation. You just got to find a little bit different ways, um, less through cost and more through action in order to celebrate and reward those people for those achievements. But yes, you can absolutely create that similar experience. You just got to be a little bit creative on how you're going to do it, but absolutely disciplined on who you let in those doors. Um, you know, Somebody who's gone through four or five contact centers is not someone I'm looking to hire. Um, because there's so many negative behaviors I'm trying to get out of them. Uh, and, and the best example is that typically when somebody goes from outsource center to outsource center, they've been trained robotically to manage their handle time. Right. I don't believe that a CSR should ever be asked, what is their handle time? That's not a KPI we hold our CSRs to. That's a KPI I hold my directors to. Because that's telling them that you need to be faster off that call more than you need to be great at that service. Um, and so that's, that would be the, the last part I would add to it is the KPIs that you hold them to. Um, within an outsource center, you're held to very finite numbers to hit your metrics, but it doesn't mean you have to beat you know, your frontline employees over the head with that. doesn't mean you need to have critical conversations right. over AHT. Handle time, sure. After call, absolutely. But the overall AHT, no, because then it dilutes the experience. And, sal- and you are telling the person, it is more important to me that you get off that phone quickly than that you provide that dynamic experience. And then you will burn out your workforce that way and then further drive that negative environment. But long, long answer to get to the, yes, absolutely, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you touched on a few few very interesting and important points over there. Um, one being of scale, right? Where, where you mentioned like a BPO organization, if, even if they're trying to build that culture and doing everything right, they have to do it far more often because mm-hmm. of obvious um, reasons. And then, then the other one was around measuring not just the customer experience, but even the employee engagement and the employee experience, right? So maybe we can we can t- in that same vein, like what are some of the things that you've seen work or, or some of the challenges that you see when you scale from a 
small organization, a support organization where everyone is handpicked. You have that camaraderie, you have that great culture to one where now your company is a global one where you have teams that are remote, you have a work from home environment where people aren't interacting with each other as much and, and so on. Like how, how do you measure the, the experience of the employees and the customers, but more importantly, build that culture in, an, in such an environment? Yeah, I'm I'm really big on measuring um looking at KPIs that measure specific and actionable behaviors, not so much ones that measure symptoms. So one of the KPIs I look at a lot is indicators that may lead to a negative in an environment. So if people enjoy their environment, they enjoy where they work and they enjoy who they work for and with, they're going to show up to work, they're going to show up to work on time. Their breaks aren't going to go from 15 minutes to 27 minutes. Uh, they'll be there at around the 15 to 16. So what's what's our, our adherent? What's our absenteeism? Because those are all indicators and forecasts to turnover and attrition. Um, if you have a site with heavy numbers of attrition uh, with absenteeism and with uh, out of adherent states, then you have an opportunity within your culture, which most of it honestly stems from the, your, your communication approaches. Mm-hmm. And that's scalable across any type of business. You know, if you have 100 people, if you have 10 people, that those are easy to look at. Um, the other one too is that I don't put as much emphasis on like CSAT scores or even MPS scores. I mean, I do look at them. Don't get me wrong. We do have goals around them because that is typically how it's it's measured. But really, the that customer experience is driven by an action. Um, your your sample rate is so low on those those KPIs where you're asking for surveys. You know, get maybe one to really good place to get like five percent response rates on that. But the physical behavior of calling is 100% measurable. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody calls unless they had a negative experience, uh, meaning that they don't know you how to use the product, they don't understand the service, it wasn't explained to them within the sale or wasn't explained to them when they originally called or reached out to your contact center. So for me, the most important metric for measuring your customer experience is actually your re- repeat contacts. Did we explain it thoroughly to where they understand their bill? And no, because I called back two days later. Did we educate them enough to where they understand the process, how they can get the most out of the system or tool. No, because they call back four days later. Um, now, if they're calling back for a different thing, obviously that's that's a different story. Right, but right. if they're continuously contacting over the same types of questions, that's the best indicator because there is nothing more valuable than people's time. And if they are taking out of their day and time to reach out to you for second, third, or fourth time, that's the ultimate example that you have a failure in your customer experience somewhere down the line. Uh, whether it be through the product, the technology, or or the actions by your CSRs, um, the other part of, that we like to I like to look at and measure, you, you can't really quantify it. You just got to kind of look for it. Mm-hmm. But what is the type of interaction you're seeing? Whether it be through your your digital communications, um, whether it be through the emails, uh, or even uh, any type of coaching plans that your supervisors and team leads are documenting. What is that language? What's the words that they're choosing, and what's the tone? Is it neutral? Is it negative? Is it positive? Because it's it's those things when people aren't looking and they're just acting as natural that show you truly how they feel. And as I go, we use Slack, as I go through our Slack channels and just check in on on people and teams, what's the common question and what's the common response? Right. And, and those are really the better indicators to me as the emotion, because the emotions are waves of the emotions that are interacting throughout our operation and to tell you if there's something negative happening um, and or if there's something positive happening. 
And then are we celebrating the heck out of every win? And you can also see that within those things. And if we're not, then there's an opportunity to improve the, the dynamics. Um, so it's not usually one thing. It's a, a flurry of a lot yeah, of things. Yeah. It's, it's all of these things coming together in a way that you can extract some insights out of it, right? Um, and, and so maybe maybe the, the next question on that topic is, how do you do it? Um, what, what does your tech stack look like? What do your tools look like? Um, I mean, you know, one of the things that you mentioned over there was surveys and, and people not responding to that or, or getting like a very small subset. And, and that rings true for a lot of uh, people who've been on, on our podcast. Um, so how are you really getting a measure which is beyond that small subset? Uh, for the customer experience, um, that's, that is a struggle for us as well. It, it's one of those things I think is always going to be a struggle. Um, because you you really got to be there where the customer is, but not force them to take too much energy uh, to tell you how they feel. Um, and that that's why we use the the measurement of actually physically calling or emailing or reaching out. Right. Um, so internally, we we use to keep in touch with other people. We use both uh, Slack, like I mentioned, which is a great tool. Um, we also do a lot of Google Hangouts. Okay. Um, uh, especially for our, our remote team. Um, I, I want to see their face. I, I don't just want to hear their voice because uh, the eyes will tell you more than the voice will. Um, so we use that a lot. What's the body language? You know, what's that interaction look like? You know, how can we make as much as possible that that person-person connection in that digital world? Those are the two main tools that we use because of the control you have on the experience. Um, but for the customer, it's an ever-waving challenge, uh, especially right. as your customer base changes, but from generation to generation. And that's one of the biggest things that I feel like as an organization I'm trying to get us to is not only how can we measure our customers, but also really quickly, how can we decipher what type of generation population do they do they meet? You know, because a millennial doesn't want to call. They want to email, but yeah. more so they want to they want to text. Um, whereas a, a Gen Z, they want to make that phone call because they want to know that the, somebody is taking care of them. Um, and so I think it's really important to not cluster all of your customers into one generality and just say that, hey, this was really fast and this was really efficient. So they must have loved the experience. Well, nope. Some people really do want to get to talk to you and know yeah. that you you care about them. Um, so that's the challenge that we're, we're trying to go through right now is what is the technology that we can leverage? What's the CRM systems uh, capabilities to help us extract all of the information that we can on a customer to get a better profile on them and therefore have a better understanding of what they felt of the experience? The, the survey results I, I use is like the cherry on top. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it's always going to be extreme emotions. Um, you know, you're either going to be super angry or super excited, but it's the, the in-betweens is really where the, yeah, the bread and butter is. It's a small is. skewed data set, right? Which is, it's, it's really exactly. telling, but it might not be representative of all your interactions. Yeah. And that's where, when you see some of the, the things coming out, um, like airports and retail stores where they have, you know, are you, are you happy or sad? Like there's no more simplistic way of doing it than just yeah. push that button. And where I'm challenging my team now is how can we do that within a survey experience, uh, create that similar um, type of ease. Uh, and certainly within like our social teams, as, as we send a, a survey back, you know, just use emojis, use an emoji as the, the indicator and select which emoji more so represents that experience for you. Because that is just strictly emotion-based. And then we can, you know, obviously quantify that and, and build some metrics off of that. But right. it's an ever-growing ever problem for sure. 
Interesting. So it, it seems like you guys have um, done a lot of work in this area, and, and you certainly think about it um, in in you know various angles um, in terms of being able to measure the experience of the customer and the agent, and and kind of starting from the grassroots level where the environment then dictates what kind of vibe is being sent through the phone onto the other side. Um, tell me about a, a a measure or you know some changes that you made uh, which really changed um, the customer experience or, or did something to turn around um, an operation in some way? Yeah, it's, uh, there's a few things that I've, I've done. Um, I feel like anytime you enter a new operation, uh, one of the most overused uh, business philosophies is your, your first 90-day plan. You know, what are you going to do day one through day 90? Um, that's where you're going to measure success. That's how you're going to be defined within your, your value to that organization. You know, what's your plan? You know, and they ask you in interviews, what are you going to do and all that? And I think that's really overblown because what you're missing is the original identification of the issue that is unique and specific to that location. Um, so my answer to that question is I have no idea. I'm going to spend the first 30 days talking to the people. Uh, I'm going to ask very specific questions about who they are as people. And through that conversation, as you get to learn who your individuals are that make up your team, that's when the, the commonalities of the, the biggest opportunities naturally permeate. And in all the places I've worked at, the, the constant that is always there is communication. How are we being communicated? How frequently are we being communicated to? What fashion? Um, what style? Um, and who's doing it? And that's a control that an operation can can definitely leverage is that communication style. The second one is then always going to go towards career development. Do you have a robust, detailed, consistent, dependable coaching strategy? Uh, so everywhere I've been, I focus on those two things. You, you invest time in that. You challenge your supervisors and coach them on how to be really good leaders and coaches and mentors. You're going to naturally see an improvement in your environment and therefore in your performance. Um, and also what you get from that is the, as you develop that communication, it's not just down, it's also up. How are you empowering your, your teams to provide feedback up on how, not just how can the product be better, but how can you as a leadership team be better? How can your office be better? How can your training be better? And then listening to that feedback and apply it. So you can turn things around pretty fast and make some pretty good uh, adjustments by doing that, by asking your team, how do we make this thing better? Because you guys actually know uh, just as well, if not even uh, more tuned than we do. What that had led to within um, something that we did at Open Table uh, relatively recently is that they felt they were too much being held to a standard of covering technical requirements or troubleshooting steps within the conversations, especially the verification process. It's a very critical one but it's an incredibly robotic one when you're asking those same questions and the customer is even forecasting this question. So, okay, what would you guys rather do? We just want to have a conversation. Absolutely you do. So let's do that. Let's figure out a way in which you guys can have a conversation, a personalized conversation, but in a controlled state because we need to be able to control things so that there can be consistency and so that the customer kind of always hits this minimum standard of excellence within these conversations. So, what we did is I, I took my leadership team offsite and I, and I started with first, guys, what do we want our culture to be? How do we want people to feel about the environment of our office? We need to define that. It needs to be purposeful, not 
a result of what has happened. And so we started putting words against a wall and, you know, you know I want it to be uplifting. I want it to be fun. I want to be engaging and, and whatnot. We spent hours just throwing words on a wall and then themes permeated. Um, and from that, we settled on, on five specific behaviors, five specific things that we wanted to achieve within our culture. And we called those our, our pillars of excellence. And then the next then was, okay, QA, training, go take those five pillars and now define our call flow or our call flow guide, our, our QA form. How are we going to measure achieving these, these pillars within our phone calls now? These are the expectations for how our leadership is to treat our people, is to meet these pillars of, of it's actually called pillars of excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then these are the same expectations then for how our CSRs are going to treat our customers. And so the ones we landed are taking personal accountability, uh, being innovative, um, respectful of people, creating that fulfilling experience. And then the last one, which is kind of the most important one, uh, we kind of struggle to find the word. Um, and that's the human human interaction, you know, treating a person like a person, not like a number. And you're like, you know, how do you how do you describe that? You know, being human-y. <laughs> and that's where we landed on. So we call it being human-y. Um, and so then through that empowerment of guys, just be this, you know, you know, make sure you achieve these five things within your conversation. And naturally you you have your calibrations, you know, you you explain yep. what these are, you provide the examples of success and what that looks like. And in certain emails, they went way too far and extreme to have that connection. You know, the the email turned into a book, mm-hmm. you know, and then others we went way too far and extreme and, and trying to be respectful that it went it was a little daunting. You know, you got to kind of find those sweet spots. But through that empowerment and putting the a little bit of the bumpers on the bowling lane for them, we saw our all of our, our satisfaction scores just explode. We saw our employee engagement scores just massively uh, triple in, in scale because they now felt that they were an empowered as an adult to having a conversation with an adult and let that conversation be what it may be. And on most times that's going to end up in a positive nature because as a whole, adults don't like to be held to very strict guidelines and very tight rules because yeah. they find it demeaning. So that empowerment was really the biggest and best thing that we could have ever done is just allow the, the agent to, to be that person and more so put the risk instead of it being not holding your, your team to a script, the risk is holding your, again, your recruiting team to hiring the right person. Yeah. Um, and and that's, that's the interesting out. balance, right? Like being, being able to let people have their leeway of, you know, having that experience in a way that represents them as an individual while still being within some guidelines where you can have some consistency in the experience from a customer perspective. And I think, I think you've hit that nail on the head in terms of how you were doing that with uh, the values and the pillars that you created. I especially like the the human-y one. I think that's an important one that that a lot of call centers miss or, or a lot of service to operations miss a lot of times. Yeah, they, they focus a little bit too much on the finances. And, you know, my, my experience shows that you focus on the person and everything else comes in line. Um, since we've put in a lot of these policies, we've we've been several hundred thousand, if not even a couple million under budget each year um, because your people stay. 
And because your people stay, your training costs go down, your recruiting costs go down, your return on those investments grow with with each quarter that go by. Mm-hmm. Your leadership gets stronger, more attuned to what exactly your people need, when exactly when they need it. And you are just faster to solving problems because that's, that's really the constant within a contact center, right? Is that there's always a problem that pops up. That always yep. will be. And then you live and die by how quickly you can resolve that issue and resolve it correctly. You know, too many times we've resolved issues where it's like, eh, that was a band-aid to a massively gaping wound. I'm like, nope, <laughs> that requires more than a band-aid. So how quickly can we stop that? Um, and it's that speed to resolution is is where I found that the finances of it usually fall in line. Interesting. Well, and, and that's that's um that's a very good uh, perspective on this. And so where what what lies next um i mean there's there's a lot of things that you have done and it seems like your team has you know a lot of good ideas in terms of what they consider would be empowering to them to improve the experience overall um so what are some of the things that you're planning for um in the future yeah uh one of the ways in which i come up with those strategies is every quarter i like to ask myself if uh somebody was to take my job come in and evaluate where my team is at and the performance that we're doing, what would they do to change it? And Mm -hmm. ultimately in their perspective, improve it. And where I usually land on that is always looking for ways to make it even more simplistic, Uh, make it easier to run, easier to manage, easier to forecast, easier to distribute. Um, Just make it easier because when things are simpler, they're a lot less stressful. And stress is usually a, a driver to, to challenges within your team. So we've done a good job of that at the CSR level. Now the next phase is to really drive that at the managerial level. How can I make my, uh, how we scale our business just more simplistic so that it can be faster and more agile? Um, and a lot of that leads to also identifying where your customers are going, not just where they're at today. Uh, so we're trying to really move a lot more towards digital medias. Um, really having a presence within social media, really enhancing the, the type of tweets or uh, hashtags out there in which people, uh, w- which our customer base has interaction and responses so we can be more proactive as an organization. And in order for my support team to be uh, in that proactive approach, reach out to that customer before they even reach out to us uh, based off of any data point indicator you have, um, I need my leadership team to be able to relax, be able to be more agile themselves, be able to have less demands and expectations and stop chasing numbers and more so uh, drive those experiences. Um, So I'm actually trying to consolidate and reduce the number of KPIs in which we use to measure our success uh, or our opportunities. I feel like every number results in uh, a plethora of action and activity to try and change that number. Mm -hmm. Then you find yourself in a point where you're just chasing numbers, where we're trying to to drive experiences. Um, And sometimes it means uh, a separation. Uh, So that's one thing that we're looking at is we have a dual-sided market in that we support both restaurants and diners. Uh, So you and I, if you go make a reservation and you call, you're going to get right now the same people as if the restaurant that has to deal with the software goes a call. Um, And at least a vast amounts of information needs to be consolidated for one person to interact. So simplifying it by separating it into where we have our consumer support lines and we have our business support lines so that people can really specialize in what they do um, and, and focus in a singular action instead of the balance of, of five to 10 different expectations. Um, that's where we're looking to take it next so that when the next generation comes or the next technology comes or the new way in which people communicate throughout the world, 
we can very quickly pivot and be a part of that world as well um, before the trend is there instead of afterwards. Cool. No, that that sounds uh, that sounds really interesting, and it's been great kind of getting your perspective on like how things you know move and change and evolve at a grassroots level um, in the team, starting from one CSR all the way to scaling it. Um, across a global organization. So with that, um, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, and I'm sure uh, we'll be touching base again, uh, you know, once you've uh, put some of these things in place and talk again more about uh, your perspective on support and service desk operations. Um, as much as you came into it uh, kicking and screaming, I think uh, everyone would uh, love to hear more about what you guys are doing at OpenTable. I, I appreciate the time and the opportunity to, to share with uh, you, Sid. And as uh, I hope it comes out, it, it's something that I uh, kicking and screaming to get into it, but you couldn't get me out of it now. I absolutely <laughs> love it because at the end of the day, me and my team have the awesome privilege and honor of being able to improve the world around us one CSR at a time, and then they can improve it one conversation at a time. So I really think um, during a hardship, Support organizations are, are really what is the life and blood of business as well as community because it's large people organizations. And if you can have an amazing office with an amazing culture, you can have an amazing community. And that's that all comes down to as a parent trying to make the world better than the, for my kids and where I left it off. And I think support's a great place where we can do that. So I, I appreciate you giving me the honor and the privilege to, to just share some of that with you and your audience. Oh, the pleasure's all ours. Thanks again, Matthew. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Support Up Simplified with Sid Bambani of Sumati. Tune in next week for another interview with a customer support operations thought leader.